Freedom HealthWorks is the direct primary care accelerator. We help doctors across the country start fresh in direct primary care. With Freedom HealthWorks, you work with a team, not a checklist. Visit FreedomHealthWorks.com and together we can achieve true freedom in direct care. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, the CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. And today we are talking to a guest who has done what a lot of direct primary care clinics and a lot of people in direct care wish they could do, and that is achieve market saturation and be able to do some really interesting things within a locality and provide a ton of value to the local community. So on today's episode, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that. And of course, the market I'm talking about is none other than Houston, Texas. And so joining us is Dr. Juliette Breeze with Next Level Urgent Care. Dr. Breeze, thanks for joining us on Healthcare Americana. Thank you so much for having me, Christopher. I'm excited to talk to you this morning. I want to talk about Next Level Urgent Care and what you guys have been able to do down there, because I think it's really interesting and really remarkable because from our seat in Freedom Health Works, we hear a lot of DPC and direct care physicians say, oh, if only I was bigger or I can't handle a company with 1,000, 2,000 patients, what am I supposed to do? Because that would swamp my practice and put all my chickens into one basket. So tell us how you were able to achieve your success in what you're doing. Well, it's been a journey and it's a longer story, um, which I will try to shorten for you. Um, But basically, I never set out to do what I'm doing today. I had a very um, unusual background. I started in family medicine, went into the business of medicine for many years, learned how to do a lot of different things. And then when I got this opportunity, it was really sort of, I I always tell people, I start businesses when I get mad about something. So I got mad because I went to an emergency room with my son on a weekend. It was a freestanding emergency room, which we have a lot of those in in Texas. And as a physician, I did not understand what a freestanding emergency room was. I assumed it was a cheaper place to get care because it was in a strip center and it looked like a medical clinic. And I, it was Saturday and the pediatrician was closed. So when I went in there and I came out with more than a thousand dollar bill for something that I knew probably cost about $60 and maybe because it was a weekend, maybe it would be more like a hundred or 200, but certainly not in the thousands. Uh, I got angry and I decided that it was time for me to solve that problem for Houston. And I developed a plan to create urgent cares where we would be practicing more cost-effective medicine, but be available for people on the weekends and at night. So that was the genesis of Next Level. And the way that I decided it was easiest to make the care less expensive was to do some scale. So instead of putting up one practice and having to you know, buy servers and marketing and, and um, the EMR and all that stuff, I figured, well, I could just spread this cost out over several clinics. And I ended up putting up nine clinics in 10 months in my first year, which was probably an idiotic move, but it worked out in my favor. And so I'm going to just pretend that it was all really brilliant and, and, and smart that I did it that way. But, um, but what ended up happening was that uh, I, I had a lot of clinics, um, uh, you know, right off the bat. And of course, over the years, we've 
actually expanded to be even um, have even more clinics um, since the model became something that people appreciated. But that is how we started. We started as strictly urgent care, and it wasn't until this past year that we really decided that we could be more than that, that we could offer Houston um, employers and Houston um, patients more than just a, an acute care service. Going back to what you said and following, you know, kind of your career arc and what motivates you, you mentioned that you were an English major coming out of college and then decided to pursue medicine. So really interesting shift. And that kind of speaks to me too, because while I decided not to go to medical school with all the ramifications and consequences of the ACA happening, I was a finance major that did pre-med. And I remember the day I, I, I closed my MCAT, you know, study guide and said, you know what? There's not a doctor out here that I've met that said, go do, go to medical school, but you ended up doing it. And then, you know, you said you start businesses when you get angry. Have you started a lot of other businesses? Like, give me, give me kind of that entrepreneurial, uh, cause that, that speaks to me, right? Yes. Just a couple of examples. One of the things that has really always struck me is how really expensive medicine is and where we're spending the dollars and why we're spending the way we're spending. I have another business that I'm the vice president of and one of the founders, uh, which is a hospice business. In the United States, we spend an incredible amount of money on end of life. We, um, as physicians, we have very poor training about how to deal with death and deal with dying patients. And so we tend to throw the book at people at the end of their lives, um, chemo till the last breath and hospitalizations when um, there's not going to be a difference in outcome. And so that was another thing that I really felt passionate about was really taking a look and trying to make it more acceptable for people to experience death with dignity and grace and not necessarily be spending incredible amounts of money when we could actually use that same spending and put it towards people who are going to actually have a different outcome um, and maybe a different experience. And frankly, you know, with hospice, I felt that the care is better. The, the quality of life is better. And so that's a, that's one of my examples. Another example, which is much more recent was during the pandemic, we were out there testing for COVID early. And because of that, I was I discovered very early that our large national labs were taking on more than they could do. They were completely overwhelmed with samples. And instead of not accepting those samples, they were accepting tests and then not being able to run them for 14, 16, 18 days. I had patients that we tested that we were unable to get a result back before that patient died of COVID. That was unacceptable to me. And so I started my own central lab. We have a high complexity lab now. You know, these aren't easy things to do, but when I see somebody doing it really poorly, I just want to jump in there and try to do it better. And of course, it really helps that even though I didn't stay as a practicing physician, I love patient care. I love the idea of being in a position to help people with their lives and their and their wellness. And so it makes it easier to work hard when you feel like you're going to be paid off in just the knowing that you've made a positive difference in someone's life. So how does somebody with that entrepreneurial type of mindset who is spurred to action to fix problems, how in the world did you end up in hospital employment in the first place? 
Well, I mean, you know, you learn over time who you are. And I, I, that's why I tell my kids, you know, don't make any big decisions when you're in your 20s, because I didn't <laughs> really know who I was. Um, I, I went to medical school and, um, and I thought that I wanted to be a family uh, physician and actually uh, really did um, come out with extreme excitement about being able to start a practice. And at the time, there was a local hospital that was looking to, to start family physicians in practice. And the, the selling point was, we are not going to interfere in your practice. We just want you to come practice at our hospital and you are going to run the whole thing. You're going to do it your way. And we're just going to be sort of bankrolling your start. And of course, you probably you're smiling because you know that that's not at all what happened, that from the very beginning, they were telling me exactly what I needed to do and not do. And and some of the things that I was told to do were unacceptable again to me. And so, you know, when I when I started, I, I had a real idealistic view of how the relationship would go. And by the end, I was actually really disillusioned. And when I stopped working for the hospital, I actually had a non-compete in my contract because I was an English major and I had not studied law and I didn't understand that a non-compete is a terrible thing to have in a contract. And so, but actually in my case, funny enough, the non-compete is probably the thing that changed my whole life because had I been able to go right back into practice, I would have, and I would have started my own practice and who knows where I would have been. But because I was unable to go right back into practice where I lived, which was, you know, again, I, I didn't want to have to travel 20 miles just to go to work every day. And so I was waiting out a non-compete and that's when I got into helping um, in the business of medicine. So I started running an orthopedic practice and it was just a way to keep myself busy until I was able to do my you know family practice again. So it's a little bit of a funny turn of events, but I kind of feel like that's how my whole life has gone as I've just sort of fallen into where I needed to be at the time. I think you're the first physician I've ever had on the program that we've ever talked to through Freedom HealthWorks who was thankful for a non-compete clause in their employment agreement. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. I, yeah, you said I was laughing. And I'm like, I, I think a lot of people listening out there are just shaking their head and be like, yep, I fell victim to that too. And, you know, just a, a sidebar, but whenever I talk to medical students or residents, you know, they always say, like, what's your advice? I say, you have to read anything you sign, whether it is right. your Apple, uh, I guess iTunes isn't a thing anymore, but you know, your, your technology user agreements, just read it, yeah. scan it, see how they're using your data. Most people don't care, but especially if it's an employment, go ahead and read that thing. But I, I am yeah. thrilled that in your case, it turned out for the best. So you go through that. You're like, well, I'm, I'm barred from practicing medicine. I'm going to go into orthopedics now. And what was that experience running an orthopedics practice? Well, it was awesome, actually. So um, first of all, I got to do some things that I turned out, I, I didn't understand, you know, who I was again. I, I learned um, as I was doing things, what really just sort of got me excited. So one thing that got me excited was workflow efficiency. So I started looking at the practice and looking at what can I, how can I make this experience for patients better? And we started with just how long people waited. And so I 
turned my attention to tech, which has always been my answer for a lot of things that are, you know, wrong um, is to get build better tech for things. And we ended up creating a workflow, an orthopedic workflow that actually uh, worked so well that GE ended up buying our forms that we had created in Centricity um, for orthopedics. So across the United States, anybody who bought GE's orthopedic platform bought our forms that we had made uh, for this practice. It was just exciting. It was an exciting time to see that we were able to really change the way people experienced their medical visit. Of course, it also, orthopedics happens to be a fabulous place to be in if you're an entrepreneur. And so I got to build a surgery center. I got to build a pharmacy. I got to build a clinical research department. Um, I got to learn how to do durable medical equipment, um, physical therapy, imaging. So there wasn't anything, any business within medicine that I wasn't able to sort of learn and put my hands on during that experience, which you know, which was a fantastic launching board for the urgent care business. Because when I went in, I kind of felt like I had done and seen a lot of things in the, in medicine and, and could maybe make some decisions that would be wiser than if I had never, you know, done any of that stuff beforehand. Do you feel like you were making a much bigger impact on patient lives at that point, setting up those programs, working with an orthopedic practice and setting up all those programs in the department that you were just saying, was that more rewarding or just as rewarding as seeing patients face-to-face in a kind of a hospital primary care setting? I mean, everyone is built differently. For me, it was much more rewarding. I felt like I was impacting a huge number of patients, many more than I could have if I was just individually seeing patients. And that in some ways, especially when, you know, when we were able to sell our forms nationally, that was kind of cool. It was like, wow, I mean, I was able to expand the impact that these efficiencies might have. Now, looking into the future and what I'm doing with our membership models, with our, um, with our urgent care, that's, again, it's something where I feel like I hope this model is adopted by other people. I hope that we start looking at doing healthcare a little bit differently and maybe a lot better just from, you know, the work that I've been doing. It's just, it's sort of a research project for me. See, that's a point that, that I love to emphasize is physicians as entrepreneurial forces. The way we work, you know, with independent direct primary care practices, like we want to make a return back to that world where primary care was very localized. It was very much controlled by the physician. And I love that you're taking a different tact to that because all too often I feel like physicians and, you know, to pick on primary care doctors here, which, you know, my parents uh, are primary care doctors and, you know, my mom's an internist, dad's a GP. But um, we talked to a guest a couple of weeks ago and she said something really profound that all doctors are specialists. And so I like to take that even a step further and say that private practice is one of the kind of salvations of a lot of what frustrates us about the healthcare industry right now. And so that's, again, why I like this conversation so much. And what you've been able to do is show people that you don't have to focus just on, you know, one clinic. If that's what you want to do, do it. But don't take orders from somebody else higher up. If you want to go out there and build, are you guys at 22 locations or is there more now in the Houston area? So we have 17 urgent cares and then we do six on-site clinics which brings us to 23 that we are managing, but we've got four urgent cares under development right now. So we'll be at at 21 by the end of this year. 
Perfect. See, then you can take that and then do what you're doing. And then a lot of people are going to benefit that because, you know, I'll hear it from you, ask you this. How do your prices compare to that experience that you talked about earlier uh, in our conversation with the, uh, with the weekend visit to the ER? That's right. Well, you know, one of the things that I did right off the bat was I negotiated case rates with all of our insurers. And that to me is extremely important. And it's important for a lot of reasons, but mostly because when patients walk into our door and they say, how much will it cost me? I don't have to answer them the way that most physicians have to answer, which is, well, that depends on what we end up doing for you. I want to be able to say it's going to be $180, period. That's it. And and if that's too much, then they know that right away and they can make that decision to find another place to get care without having to, on the back end, be shocked like I was when I opened up that bill and said, oh my God, $1,000? The guy looked in my kid's ear for one second and said, yeah, his eardrum is busted. I mean, that's ridiculous. And so I think- those are the kind of things that to me right now where, where where we stand is we're about 10 times cheaper than an emergency room. But because of my orthopedic background, we're able to do casting, splinting. We even do some simple reductions. We can do a lot of things that emergency rooms can do, but for, for that 180, 250 is our highest level. And that's like, if someone comes in, they have two broken bones. We have three levels of for self-pay. The 180 is generally what our insurers pay us, but that's all been negotiated and it is just what it is. Also, I'm a big believer in transparency. I don't like when everyone says, oh, you know, you can't talk about your pricing. Well, why not? If it's reasonable pricing and you're not trying to price gouge anybody, then you should be able to talk about it. And again, you know, when we start talking about the membership models, I'm a big believer just look, it's just prepaid healthcare. We just, we want to know how much we're paying for our healthcare and that just should be the price. Um, And then it's up to us as operators to operate efficiently and to make sure that our, we're pricing so that we can make a modest margin and, um, and have a successful business. I never thought of that as, as something that people should throw in a closet. You definitely touched upon a subject that gets me fired up. Who's out there saying that we can't talk about prices? Well, the insurance companies for sure tell you that. Um, in fact, <laughs> in some of the contracts, they'll tell you that you can't talk about the prices. And so, you know, that's a problem. But even amongst physicians, I find that people are very cagey about talking about what they get reimbursed. Physicians, all of us, we're very competitive people. And so we don't like to be the one that's not getting reimbursed as much. And so there's always that little, you know, thing of let's not talk about it so no one has to be embarrassed. And, um, but I, I just really, I mean, I was a big fan of the hospital uh, price transparency movement. Of course, the hospitals aren't really doing it, but if they were, um, I think that that would be really great. I, I just think that we are not able to make decisions as consumers because we are, it, we're completely shielded from what exactly it is that we're deciding. Isn't that amazing too? Because if there's one thing an American citizen can do is go shopping, right? We all know how to shop, whether it's online, whether it's in person, a little retail therapy. I think we're all kind of in the same skill set along those. Some are better than others. Yet when we get to the doctor's office, it's like all rationale and all reasoning just escapes us. And we don't think to ask that one simple question of how much is this going to cost me? That's right. And then when insurance companies come and say, well, we can't talk about price. 
I am shocked there's no, it's not mobs of people out there with pitchforks demanding some type of price transparency. Because, you know, I've said this before, this is the only industry where they don't jump through all types of hoops and climb the highest mountains to make it easier to purchase. Everything else, every other right. industry, you know, you watch advertisements on TV and what are they doing? They're trying to educate people so that they go out and buy their product. We don't see that in the United States healthcare industry whatsoever. And in fact, it's a complete 180. And we just sit there and sit back and say, oh, well, that's, that's the way it has to be. I, it's right. just something I've never understood. I'm completely in agreement. I, I just um, makes me mad all the time. And, and, and so, like I said, I, you know, I, I'm a fan of, of case rates. I'm a fan of transparency. One of the things that I think is important, and, and we'll probably talk about this, is, you know, we don't charge a time of service with our memberships. We do not charge a time of service fee. And that, to me, is very important because people, first of all, they don't trust medical establishments anymore. And they, it's so expensive for everything that um, to go to the doctor is scary for a lot of America. And, um, and I just really wanted to take that off the table and say, you know, if we're providing healthcare, let's get that all out of the way before you come in. So the decision about whether you come in because you don't feel well, is not made on the basis of whether you can afford that visit that day. You know, if if you just got paid, are you going to go get, you know, your diabetes medicine versus if you if you got laid off, are you going to not do that? And I just feel like those are the kind of decisions that it's important to me that we try to try to solve for this, that we try to solve for people having their pills and, and skipping appointments. And I think that, that that's a very real problem that we have in the United States right now. Dr. Breeze, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from some of our sponsors for the podcast, and then we're going to dive exactly into that subject that you just mentioned when we come back. Health insurance premiums are rising faster than actual medical costs, and employers everywhere are struggling to keep their heads above water and take care of their amazing team. Most people will never meet their deductible in a given year. So shouldn't there be an alternative to health insurance for people who don't really need it? At Custom Benefit Solutions, we build better benefit solutions by pairing local, direct primary care options with affordable medical cost sharing plans. This creates affordable options for America's small businesses. These companies are able to save money and provide an actual primary care doctor that'll take care of your employees and their families. Employees enjoy getting the care they deserve without struggling with confusing co-pays or deductibles. Want to learn more? Go to custombenefits.org and talk to a team member today. Custom Benefits Solutions. We solve for care. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Welcome back to Healthcare Americana. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. We are talking today with Dr. Breeze of the Next Level Urgent Care. 
down in the great city of Houston, Texas. And we've been talking a lot about some of the pain points in medicine and, and how that spurs and motivates people to do different types of things to try to meet these challenges. You turned from a English major to a physician to a, use the term, serial entrepreneur, active in, in multiple industries, all kind of centered around healthcare and delivering affordable great quality healthcare to people in your local community. And so with Next Level Urgent Cares, what you've been able to do is build out a system of urgent care. And now you've just launched as of uh, January 1st, 2021, a membership program to these urgent care facilities. Shed a little light on that uh, for us and, and how you built that, what inspired it, and what kind of successes are you seeing? Well, you know, the early inspiration, first of all, there's a lot of groundbreaking work that has been done already on concierge medicine and direct primary care. And so, of course, I read and I, I knew that th these things were going on. And I kind of was thinking about how can I apply some of these really brilliant principles? Um, I love the idea of cutting out the middleman who is the insurance carrier in a lot of cases and just, you know, doing um, this direct model, was intrigued by it, but wasn't sure how we could really work that with what we were doing. But then I started, uh, one of the things that we started doing in about 2015 was we launched our first on-site clinic, which was a clinic that was located within an employer's campus, and it served only those employees. They hired us to manage the clinic and at that time was the first time that we got a chance to cut our teeth on actual primary care. Um, so I went back to my roots. And also we did some work injury care and urgent care at that facility. What we noticed was that um, those employees didn't have to pay anything to go to that clinic and they used it and they were very compliant. And the only downside to the clinic was that it was only open uh, seven to five. And so on the weekends and at night, they actually were still using our urgent cares um, for a lot of their care. And we, we shared the EMR. So their care was seamless, but it cost money at night and not during the day. And that was kind of a bummer. The next thing that happened was, you know, we, we found that we were actually pretty good at primary care and chronic illness management. And that one engagement led to um, being recommended to several other large organizations for the same uh, service. And one of the organizations that we ended up at, uh, we have two clinics that are on site, but it is the seventh largest school district in the country, Houston Independent School District. And they have 31,000 employees and dependents on their plans. And they were trying to solve an access problem. A lot of their employees were unable to get to the two locations that they already had put in the place for the employees for free. And as part of our proposal, we went for it and said, well, what about if you paid a small membership fee? But at the time, we weren't doing primary care in our urgent care facilities. We were only doing urgent care. So the membership was to unlimited urgent care for their employees for a very low monthly rate. And so we, we started with that um, model and it was incredibly successful. Um, the employees loved it, but more importantly, the employer loved it because when you provide something with no cost at the time of service, 
people tend to use that and they tend to use it before they think of going somewhere else. So instead of going to the emergency room, they were preferentially choosing to come to our facilities. And if they needed the emergency room, we were getting them to an emergency room right away and providing whatever interim care needed to be provided. But we got first crack at them and we were able to divert a lot of people. So it was a model that just worked really well. And we thought, oh my gosh, this is something. And then of course, when the pandemic hit was when there became scared, you know, people scared to go in for primary care and a lot of talk about what are we going to do about preventive care and primary care that is getting pushed aside and that people are not going for. So um, that's when we, we started talking about it and saying, well, we've got these locations, people know where we are. They've used us before. We've, we've built our brand in the city. What about if we add primary care and preventive care to the things that we do in our facilities and what, what, what would that look like? And could we do it? And so that's, that's the story. When you first signed that client, was that a relationship that you went directly to that business or were you working with benefits and brokers and the traditional type of, again, middlemen uh, that we see confound a lot of healthcare relationships? Yeah, so that's actually a really good question. Because again, like I've fallen into this and I didn't really know what I was doing. The first clinic that we did that was an on-site clinic was a um, was through an RFP. And I for those people who are, you know, listening and have never heard of an RFP, I hadn't either until this, uh, some, some people, it was a, it's a county that hired us and the county had um, known of me from my, my orthopedic days and had contacted me and said, Hey, we heard you're doing primary care, which wasn't even right, but we heard you were doing primary care and we'd love it if you bid on our clinic. And at the time, to be quite honest with you, we were struggling. We, we were pretty new as urgent care, and it takes a long time to build an urgent care patient base because we don't get to see them very often. They usually come like once a year, so it's a long ramp. And uh, so I thought, okay, well, this would be income, and I should give this a try. So uh, we worked feverishly on this RFP and um, request for proposal. And what ended up happening was that because I was an English major and I spent a lot of time on essays, I really went to town on this request for proposal and we did get chosen. We decided, well, maybe we should look at who else has requests for proposals out. And of course, again, we we used uh, two things. We used the referrals that we were getting from, you know, each client would refer, but then also we were signing up with big employers on their vendor sites. And when they did have um, the opportunity for healthcare things to come up for their company, we got notified and were able to put in proposals. And so the genesis of the first client that I did a membership model was uh, that I learned a lot. I, I actually hired someone to coach me on how to respond to RFPs. And in his coaching, he told me something that I th- thought was very valuable, which is generally people are asking for what they think they want. And what you need to do is somehow work in what you think they need. And you do that by definitely responding to what they've asked for, but then also always putting in a value add or some additional option that they could use. And um, he said that will just make you look more attractive because 
you've given them an idea that they didn't have before. And so that's what happened with the membership thing was I was thinking, well, let's try to give them something that they hadn't thought of, but they certainly have a problem with 31,000 people that they're trying to service with two clinics. And maybe my 17 will come in handy. And I was correct in that. So that's how that happened. It's very Henry Ford uh, type of advice there because you know, his favorite, his famous quote was, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Yeah, and right. so, you know, that really resonates too. It's a fascinating story too, because it shows the success of going directly to that company, that employer and saying, hey, there's a better way to do this. Like, I understand what your needs are, but here's where I see your challenges and here's how I'm going to meet them in a very unique way. And oh, by the way, it's already built out. And I think that's where a lot of people listening, a lot of people trying to make waves in this industry. And I know that that's something that, that you know, we sometimes struggle with too, because we always say that one direct primary care practice in a city or in an area is kind of a novelty. It's a feel-good story, but you put five, you put six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 15, now you've got a gravitational pull there where you can do some really incredible things expanding on that conversation, expanding on your growth. Have you seen any discussions around, you know, that dreaded four letter word data Are any employers coming out and saying, well, I need to see this data to show that this is actually effective. Actually um, it's almost the opposite. So when I have conversations with employers, the first thing I ask for is if they would allow me access to their data file. And we have a specific request that we make of employers. And the reason is that I am not interested in solving a problem that doesn't exist. And I want to know what the problems are. And then I want to have an objective way of showing them whether or not we've actually done anything. Now, what's amazing is that it's a lot harder to get employers, especially when they don't know you, to hand over, even though it's de-identified data. It certainly gives people pause, like, hmm, I don't know if I want to give you my data. What do you need it for? And so I, I always tell them, you know, one of the things that I love to do is build out models where I can put together some objectives where everybody feels successful. So, For example, we have an an organization that has a large number of people on our prime model right now. What I asked for was that data model. What they gave me was exactly what I asked for. And we were able to show them that less than 30% of their employees were getting an annual physical exam. Um, And I said, we've got that as our benchmark. Now let's see what we can do with care navigation, with actual focus on that problem as an objective for ours uh, for us is that we want to move that dial and get you to over 50 percent ultimate goal is 80 to 100 percent but we set goals that way we saw how much they were spending in the emergency room and we want to reduce that by 20 percent this year i think that's an achievable goal when people don't have to spend anything to come into our facilities i think we're going to make sure that that goal is met. Now, it is also helpful with the data because once the employers know and we quarterly, we're reporting to them and letting them know this is what we're seeing and this is how you can help us. Because in the at the end of the day, it is a partnership. It's not just where we just want to sign you up to do our healthcare and then we're done. Because if they are not promoting with their employees the benefit and And it truly is a unique benefit for an employer to say, you do not have to pay for 
any urgent primary preventive care at all. First dollar is paid for and you just go in when you need it. You have access 24-7 through telemed. You have access in person from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. seven days a week. You can get a full physical exam on a Sunday afternoon. You can get your diabetes checked at 7 p.m. on Thursday night. If that is not an answer, you know, a benefit that most employees don't receive, I just don't know what is. And so what we want to do, though, is we want to make sure that it that it's not just employers paying more for healthcare. It's really that the employers are paying that money and then seeing it come back to them, you know, in these ways like reduction of high dollar claims, reduction of lab bill, reduction of emergency room spend, all of the things that we are targeting. And again, those targets are spelled out and they're spelled out with data. So what I'm finding mostly is when an employer doesn't want to give me any data, I have to make very general, I have to say, well, for an employer your size, generally we see this. Now they they can see it, but I can't. And so that makes it a little bit less fun, but we still work with it. It takes your value proposition instead of trying to talk to employees about, well, here's your co-pays, here's your deductible, here's your out-of-pocket maximum. Terms a lot of people either couldn't care about or just don't know what they mean. And now you're switching that into actually, here's a real tangible benefit, just like all the examples you just listed out there. And, and that is just has to be so powerful speaking to, you know, the rank and file of that company, let alone, you know, the C-suite making these decisions of, oh, wow, okay, people are actually going to appreciate this rather than pick which insurance plan you want to, and we're going to take a ton of money out of your paycheck, but, you know, you should be thankful for it because you have insurance coverage. We all know that coverage, I'm using air quotes, (laughs) does not equal medical care. And so again, it has to be very rewarding to see their faces light up when you have those conversation of, oh, wow, this is actually something that their families can use, that they can use, and they can actually understand. It's like having a doctor in the family. It's actually amazing. We have one really good story from a, a construction company that just started with us, and they were not providing healthcare benefits at all for their employees until this year, and they started with Prime. And, um, you know, construction workers are uh, men, and men don't love to get preventive care. They are generally not the first ones in for their annual physicals. And you would have thought we had opened up a candy shop. Um, it was amazing. These people were so excited to get care that had not been accessible to them. And so even in the first month, which we were like literally just getting out there with flyers and letting people know what we were doing, we had, there's only a hundred employees and I think more than 15 of them came in for their full physical the first month. And so on that pace, we're going to get through their whole employee roster pretty quickly. And we're just really excited about that because we believe that First of all, everything aside, the um, the patient satisfaction is through the roof, um, which really is a help to the employers. You know, um, that's why we as employers offer health insurance because um, we want to keep employees. We want to attract good people, and so this is a way of really uh, upping the game in that manner. Do you see the employer health insurance model? Do you see that as the best way? to provide health benefits? And I I use health benefits very loosely here, but do you see that as the best way to go about this or are there better ways for people to have great employment and enjoy what they're doing, but also take care of themselves and their family from a healthcare standpoint? 
I think it's a terrible model that we're in right now. I'm working with what we have because I, even though I love to solve problems, that's a problem that I feel is um, beyond my scope completely. I, I don't think that employers should be the source of healthcare. And especially in this day and age, it used to maybe make sense when people kept jobs for their whole life. You know, they started with a company and then they retired in 50 years. But, you know, now people are with companies for less than four years. It doesn't even make any sense at all that that's where they're getting their healthcare. It's complicated and confounding. But having said that, that's where we're getting our healthcare right now. So that's who I'm targeting our employers, because I think that if that's where people are spending or who's spending the money, then I need to go to them um, because they're the ones that, that, that care about what dollars they're spending and how those dollars are spent. You can buy a really great insurance plan. It's still going to have a deductible and a copay, and it's still going to force your employees to make a decision about whether they're going to buy their kid a new pair of shoes or go get their diabetes checked and or their hypertension checked. And so I just think that if we can get patients to the point where um, this is something that is more, again, a membership, I feel is a good, is a good model. I just, I like the model. It's almost like you're working. And with that, with that sense, like you said, that, that the employer model is of healthcare is just not very good. I always, uh, I, I always find that the people who are working their tail off to make sure that they are obsolete in the future, those are the people actually going out there and changing the world. And so my hat's off to you and what you're doing and what your, what your organization's been able to accomplish here. You know, like you said, we start out with nine clinics in 10 months. I mean, that's absolutely incredible. We've, um, we've launched six uh, drug primary care practices around the country simultaneously. It's tough. And so, you know, to be able to do what you guys have done and grow to that level where you are, that's impressive. So I uh, wish you guys the best of luck. Once again, thanks for, thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, thanks for putting all this information out there for all of us, because I certainly listen to you and um, have gotten a lot of great ideas from you and the people that you brought on the show. So thanks again for having me. I appreciate that. That right there is what makes it rewarding. We get to tell a lot of interesting, very unique stories that otherwise wouldn't see the light of day with all the noise out there facing healthcare. Once again, that's Dr. Juliet Breeze, Chief Executive Officer with Next Level Urgent Care, amongst other endeavors and entrepreneurial ventures. That's going to be it for our episode of Healthcare Americana. Once again, I'm your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. For more information about direct primary care, visit freedomhealthworks.com. And to catch all of our episodes, visit healthcareamericana.com. Big shout out to Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and Melissa Turpin for managing and producing our podcast. Healthcare can be complex. If you're managing a chronic or life-threatening illness, Patients Rising is here for you. We built the Patients Rising Concierge to help you navigate stressful health decisions and get the support you deserve. You will find personalized support by calling, emailing, or visiting our website. Our team is standing by to help with your unique situation. Find the help you need today at patientsrisingconcierge.org. At Green Imaging, we provide diagnostic imaging procedures that include MRIs, CT scans, and x-rays for half of the average price in a health plan. Most people don't realize that the most expensive place to get an MRI is right down the hall from the prescribing doctor. This is because 70% of doctors are now employed or subsidized 
by our hospital systems. When we get an imaging exam at a hospital-owned imaging facility, the cost of care is three to seven times more expensive than it is at an independent imaging facility. There is a better choice that can save you up to 65% or more. That choice is green imaging. In most hospitals, there are 16 administrators for every single doctor. This creates an unnecessary burden on the price tag. By removing this excess, Green Imaging provides diagnostic services typically at one-third of the price or less. Check us out at greenimaging.net. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.